Hello listeners, my name's Gretchen LaRoche, Chief Executive for the Christchurch Symphony Orchestra and sitting beside me today is Benjamin Northey, the CSO's Chief Conductor. We are embarking on our first ever podcast. History in the making, Gretchen, how exciting. Absolutely. I was going to say, Ben, have you done, you're probably very experienced at this kind of podcast business, have you done lots of these? No, you've got me completely wrong. I've done a lot of sort of radio interviews and things like that, but no, this is new territory for me. It's another example of CSO on the the cutting edge <laughs> of orchestral technology. It's brilliant. Well, this is look, this is totally new for me, and I was thinking, you know, when we went through conservatoriums, right, they didn't train us no. to do podcast stuff like this. No, they certainly don't. You know what? I think it's happening a bit more now in, yeah. in, in institutions uh, at tertiary level that they're kind of being taught more about, you know, how to use technology, how to market, yeah. promote, and brand yourself and your art form and all that kind of thing. So the next generation... Probably more They'll, be pros. They'll yeah, be pros. Yeah. But um, we so, can say we will first. So basically, we're just going to have to say, so listeners, just stick with us. We <laughs> promise it will only get better from here. That's right, right exactly. Right, right. Bear with us. So I thought, you know, uh, we're supposed to have some kind of structure around this. So I oh, thought yeah. <laughs> we're going to start our podcast with a, a, a news update session. So I thought, you know, just, just as a, a tester, I think what's really, really topical for us. Um, has been uh, the budget announcement in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So um, Stephen Joyce, meat pie, um, but the announcement of the budget and what that means for the arts. And um, I will say, probably not a a, a standout budget for the arts. So Creative New Zealand, no increase in funding. Mm. So just the same same that they've had. So um, status quo which is not really the news I think we were looking for in the arts. I think that's that's tough. Um, and um, I think, you know, the, the advice previously from the Minister of the Arts was um, what we need to make sure we're doing then is keep going out and buying our lotto tickets um, because that helps fund um, the arts. Yeah, I, I am very ambivalent um, and I, I don't really understand why politicians themselves don't see... Uh, the benefit in art spending because study after study seems to indicate that it generates economic activity and especially in the broader creative arts Mm. whether they be advertising, computer programming, Mm. anything that involves an element of creativity arts funding is uh, a catalyst for activity in that area and that's the future. The creative economy is the future. It already employs more people than mining in Australia for example. Wow, really? That's right, incredible. Right across. Uh, mining's actually quite small, but the creative arts, when it's applied yeah. across every spectrum yeah. of, of activity, uh, is a huge industry. And it's um, it represents something like 17% of the Australian gross domestic product. And so when people say we can't afford to fund the arts, I say you can't afford not to fund the arts because the benefits to society in so many different areas, whether it be youth truancy and incarceration, mental health, Mm. all of these things, they actually uh, reduce the economic Mm. impact of those areas Mm. by generating, um, you know, uh, activity in the arts. And so I always say you can't afford not to fund the arts. So that's really interesting, and that's a very interesting perspective on it. So does that come back to us in the arts, actually making sure that, that we are actually delivering that message but also in the way we think about arts and how the arts can be used and how we can apply our skills, our resources, especially for some of those social benefits that perhaps actually it's also a little bit on ourselves to think about 
how we change and move and reflect modern society yeah. that tie in? Look, I think this is the the one thing for all of the uh, that what I would describe as traditional arts organisations, mm -hmm. such as orchestras, but every arts organisation is how they are interacting with their community, how they are providing a really tangible benefit to mm -hmm. a broad section of the community and not just being seen as the icing on the cake for yeah, a, right. certain, a certain group of people. Yeah. And that is up to us to advocate for. Um, you know, I, I'm often thinking about uh, some rural communities in Australia where there are really high instances of, of youth truancy and, and youth incarceration and just, you know, societal kind of problems like that. And I look at the amount of money it costs to lock up somebody in a in a in the institution. Yes. It's extraordinary how much. I mean, for something like I, I looked at the sums and I thought, well, for a tenth of that mm -hmm. of the money they're spending on locking these kids up in regional Australia, you could put a choir director full time in almost every regional um, city yep. in Australia to run a youth singing program. Yes that would no doubt yep. have an impact on those numbers. Yeah. And so things like that, it's about us having the ideas and we are the people in the, mm -hmm. in the creative sphere to have those ideas mm -hmm. and then take them to government, take them to decision makers and say, well, look, what about this? Mm. This is what I think the outcome will be. Mm. And money is the great thing they do understand. Yeah. And, um, and it's just, uh, you know, advocating for the, for the transformative power of the arts, but also engaging with uh, with people across a really wide section of the community. Mm. Oh, well, look, that's, that's absolutely music to my ears, and um, I think it ties in so much with what we've been talking about in CSO and, and sort of the, the future direction we're, we're seeking to head in as well. Mm. Um, that will be the subject of a whole other podcast <laughs> we probably better not talk about today. No, that's but, very uh, exciting. But, um, yeah, that's, that's um, a very interesting perspective, and I think um, certainly with the budget announcement and status quo, um, you know, for Creative New Zealand funding, who are our major funder, you know, I think it, it certainly does throw up a lot of other things that we need to be thinking about as a, as a sector and how we're going to address this mm. um, and get our message out there of, of the, the, you know, benefits that we Well, that's doing. right, and everyone who is a supporter of the orchestra plays the role of advocate too. And, you know, it's up to all of us to keep pushing that message out there mm. um, to, to as many people as we can. Mm. And also just making sure that the arts are front and centre mm. of, uh, you know, public debate and, and included in popular culture and, and all of those things. And this wide reach is something that orchestras are doing mm. so much better than they ever have done before. Yeah, so. well, well um, you know, again, not, not to go off topic too much here, but I've just returned from um, a really fantastic and inspiring and, and really invigorating trip to the UK, visiting a lot of the orchestras up in the northern part of England and other music organisations and the work they were doing. And, and sort of this broader um, social sphere was, was really fantastic to yeah. see. The way they're, they're talking about their roles and the changing nature of those roles for the musicians within, within their music organisations mm. was, was very interesting. And it certainly feels like we're on the cusp of some um, pretty significant change going on in our business. Yeah, I think so. Well, it's the power of music. It brings people together like nothing else. Mm. And boy, does the world need that. Yep, yep. Amen to that, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so now the next thing I thought, though, we should, since we've got you in the hot chair here, yes. 
our chief conductor, I thought that actually might be the interesting thing. I'm hoping that inquiring minds out there, our one listener, uh, <laughs> wants, to, wants to sort of know a little bit about this. Because I was thinking to myself, well, is this a good opportunity to talk about actually the difference in the role of a chief conductor versus perhaps, you know, a, a visiting conductor sure. or a guest conductor? Yeah. And a little bit too about, um, you know, we'll see where we head, but um, I guess about um, the changing nature of the role of a chief conductor today mm. versus, say, you know, 50, 40 years ago or, or just, just how that role... Well, the one thing I've noticed, and, and just so that people will understand the background, I've, I've been uh, a freelance conductor, uh, I suppose, in addition to any position I've held for about 15 years. I've got a title position with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra as their associate conductor, which is about eight to ten weeks, and I'm the chief conductor of the Christchurch Symphony, which is about the same um, in terms of time commitment. The rest of the time, I still travel as a guest. Mm. So this is this is um, the first you know major experience as a chief conductor I've had, and I can really see what the differences are because yeah, it's all yeah. about responsibility mm. and leadership. Mm. And so, as a guest conductor, you might come into an orchestra um, for a week, yeah. and if you haven't conducted them before, you'll be sort of, you know, getting to know them. You want to make a good impression and you want them to like you and ask you back and all these kinds of things and, and make some great music. Yeah. Um, and But it's very different than... The chief conductor is across all areas, ideally, of the of the organisation. Mm. And they're an integral part in, in uh, understanding that each area of the orchestra has an equal importance you know we all see the performance we mm. see the orchestra up on stage and the audience don't necessarily see how it got there so every element from marketing to the orchestral library uh, to development and philanthropy um, production you know and artistic mm. they all work together mm. to, for that common goal mm. and so the chief conductor I think the better the understanding of, of how an orchestra works mm. Um, the better the chief conductor can inform their own decision making. Mm, mm. But the biggest thing is just the artistic um, leadership and, mm. and that's uh, a very different kind of personnel um, management uh, role um, as mm. a chief conductor than it is for a guest conductor because you're constantly, uh, you know, you're really evaluating the orchestra constantly and seeing which areas need particular attention and... Um, and having to sort through any issues that might come along, <laughs> and that's your job too, any, any difficulties that you need to take control of. We can certainly delve into that, because that's <laughs> often sort of the undervalued people are interested in. But, but actually, I was quite interested um, in what you say about sort of, you know, the artistic um, leadership, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's actually maybe something we should just um, um, unpack a little bit, um, because, you know, I think um, for those of us that have watched um, Mozart in the Jungle series, you know, and, and we, you know, hear the, the past stories too of, of the despotic chief conductors that come in and they're wanting to, um, you know, that they, they see that their role is to clean out half the orchestra and to recreate right. it in the, in the image. What, what, where do you stand on that? So, you know, in terms of those sort of legacy building things, you know, makeup of orchestra, how, how much do you see a role as to work with what you've got, um, you know, and to, 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 I suppose, be in sort of take from this is the character of the orchestra, I'm going to work with that, versus this is the vision I have of what an orchestra can be and should be 
and so you're wanting to make artistic changes to fit a specific artistic vision. Yeah, look, I think the reality in the modern world is that uh, it's, a, it's a far more respectful relationship between mm. conductor and orchestra and that it probably has traditionally <laughs> yeah. been. Yeah. It's not that every maestro in the past was a despot and a sociopath. It's just that many of them were. <laughs> uh, um, and those days are gone yeah. and that's a good thing because uh, nobody uh, wants to be treated with that kind of disrespect mm. and it's not a good workplace mm. environment for, for people. Mm. Um, there are times where you need to be unpopular and make tough, mm. tough calls and tough decisions and orchestras want you to do that mm. at times as well. Uh, but it's all in the, the way that you are interacting with people and, and um, I, I just find that word respect very important. Mm. So my feeling is that you can still... Uh, have a tremendous impact on an orchestra as a chief conductor without completely resetting the table. You don't have to come in and throw the, the you know, the <laughs> tablecloth away and smash all the yeah, plates right. and... Horn sections are set. Reset everything, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I just, I think that uh, musicians are, are very talented uh, in, in today's world. You know, some are, are probably more capable of, of changing the way they're doing things mm -hmm. than others, but it's a matter of of kind of working out ways to get the best out of each of the, the individual players mm. and communicate your vision very clearly to them so that we all know what we're aiming mm. towards. Mm. So I'd, I'd get a lot of reward out of, um, you know, creating a really positive work envir environment and bringing the best out of mm. who's there. Mm, mm. Uh, and, and look, you know, there's always um, people at different stages of their career in orchestras and, and that's an, another area that you're constantly mm. evaluating. Um, as a chief about uh, the future. You, you, you're looking, mm. hopefully, beyond your own mm. time with the orchestra mm. as well and thinking, well, you know, let's think in terms of decades and not mm. just in terms of years and, and months. Yeah. And so uh, I, that, that's what I like doing. I like, I like bringing the best out of, out of people and, mm. and that's what I think the role of the chief really is. Actually, uh, it's interesting you say that because I'm, I'm glad you opened that one up because I will say, you know, from time to time I sneak into rehearsals and what really strikes me and um, is actually you're an absolute master at, at bringing the best out in people and I think particularly judging the mood of rehearsal. So that sort of psychological mm. leadership is very very interesting and I was curious to know if that was something that you had you've just you know you've developed that it's 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 particular characteristic because you're interested in that you've built on that or is that something that was actually talked about quite a bit in your training or, or with a mentor or other conductors that you've you've been sort of influenced yeah by? look it varies uh, a lot from, from teacher to teacher in terms of how much they focus on that area. But the one teacher I had that did was John Hopkins, mm. who would be well known to our one listener, uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably, if, if our one listener is um, a, you know, a sort of a, a student of New Zealand orchestral history. So John was here in um, 57 to 63 and, and uh, just was, was uh, hugely influential here. Yeah. Mm. So he was all about uh, this... Um, these human qualities of mm. conductors and the way that they interacted with people, the choice of language that you use when you're mm. on the podium, um, using inclusive language, using, you know, why don't we try this rather than you do this? And so taking out that kind of slightly um, accusatory way mm. of dealing with players and, uh, you know, I still hear every now and again a conductor say, 
why did you do that? You know, it's like, why, why did you make that mistake? Don't, don't make that mistake. You know, it's, it's just, I mean... Yeah, yeah. yeah. what is that going to you know, draw out of it, that musician? It, it, all it does is create doubt and yeah, fear yeah. and all of these things that are the enemy of music. Right. And I really so, wanted to make a big mistake because I wanted to make myself look stupid in the orchestra. But essentially it's a leadership role. Some people are, are you know, better suited to um, taking that responsibility and enjoy it. And I'm one of those people. And I think I always have been, um, you know, I was the president of the student rep council at school and like... Were you I, a SWAT? Were you one of those, or were you just, were you a politically aware student? I was politically aware yeah. Yeah. and... I don't even know what motivated me, to be honest. I, I just enjoyed the idea of being involved in the decision-making. Yeah. And that was the thing. Like, I saw the benefits of decision-making. Yeah. And I thought, well, I want to be involved at that level because yeah. that's where the action is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can really help yeah. things go so much mm. better if mm. the decisions are good. And, yes. and so that's your other job, obviously. It's one thing to talk about, about leadership and people management, but the vision... <laughs> is the thing yeah. because without a vision you've got no destination yes. to bring everybody with you yeah. and uh, and as you know as a as a uh, leader of great vision um, people people are uh, going to respect you more for the vision than the process yeah. and and so orchestras sometimes will forgive a lot if the end result is really spectacular yeah. And so sometimes you will get conductors who won't necessarily have a, a pleasant working method, however, are still able to get wonderful results, and orchestras will kind of forgive that. So, look, I've built up those big group um, management skills, obviously, over time um, on the podium. Uh, my mother was a psychologist, and so she oh, I didn't sort know of... Yeah, yeah, so she's helped me... Uh, you know, understand people a bit more. She certainly analysed me a lot along the way. Uh, <laughs> and But that the group dynamic is quite unique, and it's a big group. It's not like an 18-person football team or a 10-person football team. This is a, a seriously big group of people. And so. an unusual group with hundreds of years of history behind it. On the one hand, very hierarchical, very structured... You know, I mean, it's, it's built into the principles, associate principles, mm -hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's a very structured, but on the same time, it has to work collaboratively. Yeah. It can't work, well, I don't believe orchestras work very effectively unless, you know, there is a sense of trust and commitment amongst the players mm. and belief. That must be a hang of a difficult thing to manage sometimes. Well, those, those structures and the uh, traditions of, of um, hierarchy they are really important because mm. if everybody had an idea, it would be Lord of the Flies. We, you know, we'd kill ourselves. It'd just be on for young and old. Everybody'd be fighting. And that's yeah. one of the things that the conductor does is that uh, the conductor can remove that element of debate mm -hmm. when it's mm -hmm. needed. So I still like mm -hmm. having input from players. Yeah. Traditionally, the principal players are the only ones who really should address the conductor. Mm -hmm. And unless the conductor specifically asking someone a question, that's a great legacy because mm. that means that they act as a filter. Mm. People in their sections can can focus their their um, issues to the principal player, who can then communicate them yeah. to the conductor, mm. and that gives an element of structure, mm. uh, which I think is good. Uh, so it's a matter of, of making sure people are, are involved and and when they're needed and and have mm. real buy into what's going on but knowing when enough's enough mm. and you just have to make 
the decision on behalf of everybody and that's your job. Mm. But also interpretively, some pieces just need one mind. They don't need 65 minds. Yeah. They need one mind. And that's that's really um, important to, to understand. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, since since we're sort of in an interview, I mean, it sounds almost like a job interview here with this next question. But then, have you experienced a time when perhaps you've been working with an orchestra, they might have a reputation for playing a certain work a certain way, it's almost a bit of a legacy, but you felt that actually it's a different interpretation you're looking for. How do you how do you work with that? How, you know, yeah. Well, how for, do you move for, them? With firstly, that? I'd say that's reasonably unusual. Mm. Uh, early on in my career, it happened more, and that's fair enough because young person, what do they know? <laughs> and you know, who are they to tell us how this right. piece goes that we've played a million times? But if you make a compelling enough case. Mm -hmm. Orchestras generally will, they will endeavour to, mm. to go on that journey with you. Mm. But you have to bring them on the journey. They won't, you, you have to give them a reason. And also you have to be quite strong in, mm. in your view about why you want to do something and really believe that mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. Because yeah. a lot of conductors will just simply give in um, at that point in time and just, oh, well, this is the previous version of this piece. and. But as you as you become more experienced, you've got. I think your ideas are just stronger and they're better formed. Yes. And so uh, it comes down to the strength of your interpretive kind of ideas about pieces. So, but yeah, there's great stories. I mean, Berlin Philharmonic with um, Pavo Beglund, the great Finnish conductor, years ago. He wanted to use his own set of parts because he marked in mm. all of these things in the parts for the musicians' mm. instructions of who to listen to and everything. And uh, he got to the first rehearsal and they had Carrie-Anne's parts in front of them. And he said, where are my parts? I, I sent my parts. And they said, oh, we're the Berlin Philharmonic. We use Carrie-Anne's parts. And he just closed oh. his score and walked out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That was his debut <laughs> with the Berlin Philharmonic. Promising stuff. And 15 minutes later, he went to his conductor's room. 15 minutes later, there was a knock on the door. It was the concertmaster who said, we've had a vote and we've agreed to use your parts. And instantly, he won the orchestra's respect. Wow. That's actually very interesting. I mean, that's a risk. That's well, a high stakes uh, game. Absolutely. Yeah. But he simply wasn't but, prepared to do it. Well, I mean, he would have always just been beholden to the past interpretation, the past parts. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't have been able to, you know. So they, yeah, they realised that that's a very German thing. It's like, yeah. oh, he really means business. Okay, well, this is great. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, do do yeah. you think that um, going around and forming relationships with new orchestras, there is always a sense of an orchestra testing you in the first instance, or is that actually quite rare? It depends. When you're starting out, yes, yeah. no question, um, and and that's good. That's important. Yeah. I mean, orchestras are the only filter as to mm. who gets up on the podium. Mm. You know, they have to make sure mm. that they're quality controlling that all the time, mm. because mm. there's just nothing worse for an orchestra than than having a less than competent yeah. person on the podium. Uh, it's it just is so sort of um, annoying and and frustrating, and. Uh, Yes, some orchestras will definitely test you out. There's no question. And, you know, hopefully after a certain amount of time, I'd like to think after about, you know, 15 plus years now, I'm starting to get a few runs on the board. So there's sort of a higher bottom <laughs> level of respect to it just by being there. They can sort of look at your bio and go, oh, okay, so they've done a bit of conducting. All right, should know what they're doing. But generally speaking, if you know what you're doing, they can work it out pretty quickly. Right. And... And it just, you know, that only takes time. Yeah, you yeah. Know. It's so nice to be at this kind of more middle stage of my career. 
<laughs> I don't know how I got through the first five years, to be honest. I don't know how anyone does. It's true, actually. I mean, August is pretty wicked at sort of smelling oh. fear. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, you've got, it's not for the faint-hearted, let me tell you. Yeah. But not the CSO, of course. We're a very friendly orchestra. CSO is a wonderfully positive group. <laughs> wonderfully positive group. Well, look, um, I think um, time is moving on. Yeah. So... Um, I think we're going to move to our final segment, and of course, listeners, I should say that as we get better at this, we'll be introducing different segments and different ideas as we go along. But I think to wrap up our inaugural episode number one in the CSO podcast, we are going to have a go at what's on your mind. What's so on your what's mind? So what's on your mind? Well, what's on my mind? Well, look, I'll tell you that one of the most inspiring things I did recently was uh, I was asked to go and conduct the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra for a, a big festival um, of music education that James Morrison, the jazz musician, jazz trumpeter, mm. who's been to CSO. He's wonderful. And yeah. he's put together a, um, a big uh, festival of, of jazz music called Generations in Jazz, which he does in Mount Gambier, which is in the middle of nowhere, really. It's about six hours from Melbourne, six hours from Adelaide uh, in regional Australia. 4,700 students came and participated no in Generations way. in Jazz. 180 wow. schools. He's built it up over 30 years. It started in, in just like a one room. It's now got, I think, about 14 different venues on this one site in a paddock. It's a huge <laughs> circus marquee that holds 5,000 people. It's the main tent. And then there's all these other venues. There's eight divisions. And they run it as a competition. So it's a competition for big bands and for jazz ensembles and uh, jazz vocal groups. And I was so inspired by, A, just seeing that many young people so motivated about music oh, uh, and performing and loving it. It's competitive, but they don't really, it doesn't feel it like, you know, all of the kids were really supportive of each other. And then uh, James has a lineup of world-class professional musicians and they do concerts each night and all of the kids go to the concerts. Oh, wow. And what it struck me was that the audience in that instance are all participants. They're all musicians. Yeah. They know exactly what we're doing. Yes. And this is what I, what I think is so important for um, education, is that it's all really about participation. And that's what we have to um, focus on as orchestras too for our, our activities to engage people, is to get people participating in music and making sure that they have hands-on experience mm. of what it's like to play an instrument or um, that they have that understanding because... A, you know, it'll bring uh, untold richness into their lives through ha having appreciation of music. But B, it's just great for the orchestra to have mm. people that really understand music and, and understand what we all do. Yes, yeah. Uh, so that was really inspiring. And I, 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 it made me think there's nothing like that in orchestral music, uh, particularly in Australia. And I'm not sure if there is here in New Zealand either. And I really want to try and get something going. So watch this space. Sounds great. We look forward to hearing about those plans. And um, thank you once again for joining us today. It's been uh, a blast. And um, we look forward to the next one. What a historic day, Gretchen. <laughs> I look forward to counting the millions of hits for this podcast, oh, oh, everyone. Look, without a doubt. And look, if you if you ever do decide you're retiring from conducting, uh, I think you've got a big future as a chief executive. So, oh, yeah, come on. Yeah, no, yeah. that's not that. Talk Fortune about conducting. You think conducting's hard. No way. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you all. We'll talk with you all again sometime in the future. Bye.